when my youngest son, our kids are, how many of you have children? Let me see your hands. How many of you have children? A lot of you. Um, how many of you have more than one child? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you would know would, and would agree with me as a parent that all kids are different from each other? Like they're just like totally different from each other and, and it makes no sense. They might look alike. They might sound alike. But in terms of exact DNA and the way they approach the world, our kids are just absolutely different. And our, our youngest son, Alex, whom you've heard me tell stories about before, when he was a little kid, um, he hated noise. Anytime it would get loud and um, kind of a lot of people, when, when, when we were younger, we would have families over. And at one point, we had a small group that was like 60 people. It was and like 40 of them were kids. And it was crazy and wild. And Alex's response as a little kid, as he was learning to talk, would be two words. He'd say this. He'd say, too noisy, too noisy. When it would get too loud, he would let you, and, and he, would, he would go away. It, it was, it was, he's such an interesting kid, like at, at like three or so years old, too noisy, two years old, too noisy. And he'd go off to his room, and the kid would go to bed, and he would tuck himself in. Like, he wouldn't even, he just, he was done, and he would, he would retreat. That, that's just how he was. And the reason I'm telling that story is he would be what we would look into today. He would be one of these three pathways. The, the pathways that we're gonna look at today are called pathways of contemplation. Um, he is a contemplator. And too noisy is kind of the theme for the contemplative. And it's, a, it's kind of an unusual word, but we've looked at the, the pathways of action earlier. We looked at... Um, all of these different pathways. Today is gonna to be the pathway of the contemplative. And there's, there's, three, there's three styles or ways in which we connect with God in this, in this grouping. Number one, intellectuals. They say this, let me think. Ascetics say, let me be alone. And contemplatives say, let me feel. So these three are the ones that we are going to look at. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29 says this. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. God wants your worship. Worship is more than a song. God wants your worship, and he wants your worship according to the way that he has made you. And I wanted you to see all of these nine ways in which we connect with God. And I want you to go back and listen to them if you haven't caught them all for a reason. Number one, I want you to know how you connect with God. And number two, I want you to know that the ways in which you connect with God aren't the only ways in which people connect with God. So I want you to understand how others connect with God. Very simple illustration of this just happened in our, in our previous service. Um, I covered the gifts or the pathways of action. One of them is an enthusiast. The other one is an activist. And an activist came up to me and self-identified and said, I'm an activist and today was so helpful for me because I couldn't figure out why the enthusiasts are clapping and cheering and hollering in the middle of a service. I thought that was just fake 
and phony, and it just wasn't genuine to me. And as soon as they saw that is one of many ways in which people connect with God, immediately they were able to relax, uh, refuse to be judgmental, and just say, hey, I'm not that way, and I'm going to pause and think about how other people connect with God. Does that make sense? So I did this strategically because I know our church very well. I'm, I'm a, a student of our church. And as our church has grown and advanced and at times been in multiple services, our church um, kind of becomes many different churches. When we had four services way back when before we moved into this place, we were four different churches. And uh, we had three services before that. And the noon service, the noon service, how many of you, just interact with me, how many of you were a part of our church and ever attended one of our noon or noon 30 services? Can I see your hands? Okay, a few of you. Um, our 12 and 12.30 service was, abs if you were here, you remember, that group was absolutely wild. We weren't many, but we were crazy. I had, a, I had an individual one weekend, it was, it was, I loved it. I had an individual one weekend, they cussed at me in the middle of the service. But, I, but, it, was a, but it, was, um, it was a kind thing. It was their version of an amen. And they said, this is some good blank pastor. And they used a profanity. And it was like a form of encouragement. And I was like, I love this. Why do I love this? Because listen, when you reach people far from God, they don't know the lingo and the language. If you've been a part of the church for so long that you forget what it was like to be apart from God, you forget that there are rules and language that we all adapt to. We know that probably yelling a profanity in the middle of the service isn't a best practice on a Sunday morning. Can I get an amen? What's the point? It's the point where we have to disciple them. We have to help them. They don't come downloaded with all of the rules. So you have to help, you have to encourage. I'm saying that because I've watched and I know our church. I did the gifts of action in the 9 a.m. because I know there are a lot of caregivers and enthusiasts and activists in that service. I'm doing the contemplative in this because this is probably the place where you'll be found. And that's reflected in this. I'll say something, I've watched this for a while now, I'll say something and I won't get a response verbally back and that is an expression that you're not connecting with God through enthusiasm or action, you're connecting with God through contemplation. You're pausing to think about what was just said. And so that's radically important for me that we understand together. Jesus in Mark chapter 12, he talks about whole being or whole person worship. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Your heart is your adoration, your soul is your will and your desire, your mind is your belief and your strength is your body if you were to look through that. Whole person worship. So let's get into it. Number one, the, the pathway that we're gonna talk about today is, the first one is the intellectual. The intellectual loves God with the mind. Now, you have to first pause and say this. I, I, I don't love this language, but I can't improve upon it. And 
Intellectual doesn't necessarily have to mean genius or super high IQ. It means that we love God with the mind. Intellectuals feel that to be growing in Christ, they have to have their mind engaged with scriptures and other reading materials and learning materials. They need to be challenged, and if they're not learning new things about God, their relationship with God may, may suffer. And they may feel as though they're stagnating in their relationship with God. Intellectuals remind us of the high calling of loving God with our mind, and that the mind helps the heart grow closer to God. Let me give you some examples in Scripture of these styles of connection with God. The first would be the Levites in the Old Testament. They were tasked with teaching and reminding the people of Israel the law and the instruction of the Lord. They were set apart as a, their own specific tribe and their responsibility was not only to represent the, the community of Israel before God but also to teach what God had commanded. An individual that you might easily remember was King Solomon. Solomon was given this special gift of wisdom and he used this gift um, not only in the understanding of life and that that honors God, but in exploring all sorts of knowledge and understanding. He wrote the entire book of Proverbs, one of the, the, the greatest collection of wisdom thoughts ever given to humanity, he wrote. You might remember in the New Testament, Apollos. I give you these examples because if this is your pathway, then I would encourage you to take these examples and dig deeper into God's word and look at these individuals and see what comes out of that study. These, ex these individuals have uh, expressions of worship that look like this. Here's how an intellectual worships God. An intellectual worships God, they face the love of hard questions with courage. When difficult questions come about their faith, and about how the world works, and about how the planet works, and how, about how life works. They do not shy away, but they face those hard questions with love because their mind and their heart get engaged. They meditate on difficult scriptures. An intellectual will read in their Bibles a difficult scripture that they don't understand, and rather than just turning the page or going to the next verse, they'll pause and they'll get out 14 concordance and, and all these different translations, and they'll look up every word in the Hebrew, and they'll research the whole thing out. They won't just, and the, the person who doesn't love God this way, they'll read it and say, that's interesting, I don't get it, and turn the page. And, that, and that's just the difference. Words of wisdom are acts of worship for the intellectual. An expression of worship and a motto that, to, that this pathway has or this connection point has with God, they say this, right thinking enables right living. So they say if you don't think right, you aren't even able to live right. This is their belief. Let me give you some temptations of the intellectual. The first one is this. A temptation in this style or preference or connection with God is they may fall in love with controversy. People 
often think incorrectly and intellectuals love to challenge that incorrect thinking with people. The danger in this is that we can become more concerned with the thinking than we are with the person. And this is problematic. The second one is the intellectuals is tempted to highlight knowing something rather than doing something. In other words, knowing is not a substitute for doing. The third one is this, they can become arrogant. Uh, there's a text in the New Testament that says, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes proud. Knowledge makes us and can make us arrogant if we don't remember that the only reason this knowledge is important is to love and connect with God and help those around us with the wisdom and knowledge that we've gleaned in order to pass that on to others to help them grow in their relationship with Christ. Loving controversy, knowing rather than doing, and being arrogant. I wanna say something not for the sake of loving controversy, but for the sake of highlighting something that is um, probably been noticed by everyone over the last few days. Um, over the last few days, if you've been halfway awake, you've noticed that the Supreme Court has made a significant ruling in the life of our nation. Have, you, have, have any of you noticed that? Have any of you noticed any controversy attached to that decision? It wasn't a trick question. Um, there's been lots of controversy. Now, what many of you want me to do, perhaps, is to make a political statement about this ruling. I'm not going to do that um, because I've never been a political person from the pulpit. My belief system doesn't allow me to do that. What I want to say is this. Number one, I am called and anointed to preach the scriptures not to preach politics. Um, I know I divide the room when I say those kinds of things, but that's what I'm assigned to do in this life, and I will answer to God for that. I want to, I want to give you a caution while I'm at it. Do not think that just because a court rules or a law is passed or a person or president or a office is elected, um, someone is elected to an office that you like or that you don't like, that that is the end of the world. Because I want you to understand this, there will always be political problems in our nation. That doesn't mean we don't fight. It doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean we don't stand up and speak for what we believe in. But here's what you need to understand, that the weapons of our warfare church are not carnal, but they are spiritual and they are strong and able to pull down any spiritual stranglehold that the enemy would want to put in our life. In other words, there is never going to be a political response or solution to a spiritual problem. Spiritual problems require spiritual answers. And it's important that we understand this in going forward. And let me just take a moment and tell you about next week. There is a 
spiritual war going on, and next week we're going to start a series that uncovers that, that identifies that, and that shows you the results and how you can have freedom in the midst of this. And I may say this again, but I wanna say it now um, just, for this, just for the sake of being able to say it. There is a lot of hate in the world around us. There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of division. My assignment is to ensure as a, as a shepherd and as a leader that that hate and that division does not make its way into this local church. That's my assignment, right? Thank you all for thinking through this as contemplatives with me. Let me keep moving. The contemplative or the intellectual says, let me think. The second is the ascetic. It's a weird word, but this is what ascetics love. This is gonna be many of you. Ascetics, they love God in solitude and simplicity. If you're a minimalist, you're an ascetic. At least one of the pathways that you love God is through that. The ascetic temperament gravitates towards solitude, simplicity, and deep commitment. If you need a picture, think of a monk or a nun or someone who retreats to the wilderness and is away from everyone and everything. If you, if you constantly go out into public and wish that you could go to the grocery store with no people there, you might be an ascetic or you might just be selfish and want your time to go quicker. I don't know which one it is. Bible examples would be Moses in Exodus 24. He spent six days by himself. And Joel, we see his calling for us to mourn. You see Jesus doing this in Matthew chapter four. And often he removed himself into solitude and got away from people and things. Here's some expressions. Silence. Silence is a regenerative practice of attending to and listening to God in quiet without any interruption or noise. Silence provides freedom from speaking as well as from listening to words or music or anything that you would say is distracting to you. The way you could express silence is by setting a period of time in which you don't speak but isolate yourself from all sounds. No noise, too noisy, retreating into the quietness of life. You might drive to work regularly without the radio on, without any music, without being on the phone. Your expression of worship may be to leave the TV off, spending time in silence with God and alone. Having personal 
retreats of silence. Now, in a husband and wife situation, this could maybe be tricky and even offensive. Um, I don't recommend anyone who has this style using it to throw stones at your spouse by saying, Pastor Josh said, it's important for everyone to shut up every once in a while because that isn't, that isn't what he said. But it can be tricky because your spouse may take it personally if you're an individual who needs silence. And, and for, for someone who doesn't need that and has a different style, that may be a very real sacrifice. It may be a very real sacrifice for Angie and I, for me to say to Angie, hey Angie, I'm going away and I'm going away to a place where it's quiet and no one's around. And I don't want a call from you or from the kids if the house catches on fire, call 911 and then the insurance company. Like, leave me alone. Leave me alone is what this person's heart cry is. Solitude. The practice of solitude involves scheduling enough uninterrupted, uninterrupted time in a distracted, excuse me, in a distraction-free environment that you experience isolation and alone time with God. I'm gonna give you the punchline of the entire next series. This spirit that is putting a stranglehold on us as humanity is causing us to feel fatigued, distracted, worn out, trying to keep up pace with a pace that is unsustainable for us, burning a candle at both ends, leading to frustration and anxiety and all types of unhealthy things for us. And the result of that is us being disjointed, disconnected, angry. And the answer in those moments is rest. How many of you remember a few weeks ago when I said that I was experiencing something I'd never experienced before and it was, it was a moment in a period of time where I was just absolutely stress-free. Anybody hear that? How, talk back to me, how many of you heard that? How many of you, when you heard that, were jealous or mad? Anybody? It's okay if you were, but listen, that space is not a space in which you do not work or which you do not care. It is a space in which you enter into by faith. Faith and rest are connected and these two things working together are going to bring a lot of freedom to your life. So let me get back to this. Um, because the same ones who get, uh, and I'm not gonna get back to it just yet, the same ones who get mad at someone for resting and having no stress are the same ones internally who are being driven nuts by other things in their life and can't find any reprieve from it. You can be accomplishing things and still resting on the inside. It's important that we look at that. Solitude, silence, and simplicity. Simplicity is to uncomplicate and untangle my life so that I can focus on what really matters. Assessing the things and activities that keep life convoluted and confusing. Setting priorities that flow from loving God above all else. Downsizing possessions. Eating simple foods. Enjoying simple pleasures that require no money. 
How many of that love that one? Removing distractions and preoccupations with things. Let me give you some temptations of an ascetic. Number one, self-righteousness. Overemphasizing piety. It's kind of a religious nature, a holier-than-thou approach. Zechariah 7, 5 says this. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned, was it really for me that you fasted? Why are you doing what you're doing? One of the temptations of self-righteousness becomes, why are you doing it? Are you doing it to be a show-off to others? Why are you doing what you're doing? This verse talks about when you fasted and mourned, was it really for God that you did that? Was it for God or was it for self? And I think it's important to self-reflect and ask those questions. Why do you come to church? Is it for God? Is it for you? Is it for you to just check the religious box and say, hey, I did it, hooray for me? Or is it because you came to have an encounter with God and his people? Why did you do it? Why do you go to that job? Well, to pay AEP and PNB and Ford and no, is that, is that why you go to work? If you go to work for those reasons, no wonder life feels unsatisfying to you. If you go to work to pay bills, no wonder life seems without meaning and purpose. I, I had, um, Angie and I had, this is not in my notes, but I think it's really important to discuss it. And the people who would, aren't, don't matter, although for context, I want you to know what they do. We had an opportunity and we, we went to dinner. These folks invited us to dinner around our anniversary time. And we went to dinner with them and they, um, they own um, a, a, a company that's, that's it's the largest of its kind in the United States owned privately. And they brought us to dinner and we started talking about some business things and I started inquiring about them. Because it was a family, the, the father started it and it was passed on to the kids and the youngest son actually became the head of the company. And I said, you gotta talk to me about that because that sounds like an argument and a fight waiting to happen. You know what I mean? Like giving a business to kids and the youngest son is running it. Like that sounds just like massive problems waiting to happen. And he said, no, there hasn't been any problems with it. I said, you have to, you have to explain this to me. There's no way I don't, I, 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 I call bull crap. <laughs> like there's no way. He's like, no, it has been. I said, why? And he said, because our dad taught us from the beginning that this business is not ours, it's the Lord's. We're not doing this for us. We're doing it to fund Bible schools and churches and philanthropic ideas all across the country. They go to work every day. They make a salary and they're taken care of, but the proceeds of their business, because they gave it to God, is blessed and they're able to make an, an eternal impact. Why do we do what we do? That's a caution for all of us. Um, temptation of an ascetic is seeking pain for its own sake. 
The temptation of an ascetic is to seek God's favor, seeking to gain God's favor, rather than resting in the finished work of Christ, which says his favor and his grace is upon us, not because of anything that we could ever do, but because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to be in unity and in right standing with him. The ascetic says, let me be alone. Contemplatives. I know we've called them all the pathways of contemplatives, but they are a style in their own right. And the contemplative seeks to first adore God. The Bible character that will probably come quickly to mind is Mary seated at the feet of Jesus, contemplating life. Martha, as I've said to you before, has gotten a bad rap. Mary and Martha are both in there. Martha is, is more of a, of a caregiver, which is in the previous time that um, I taught, the caregiver, which we did in the 9 a.m. service. The caregiver is Martha. Mary is the contemplative. Martha's up busy serving, doing, doing. And Mary's like, why can't you just relax? And they're at odds with one another because just like in the early service, there was two different styles that didn't get each other. Those two styles usually don't get each other. But listen, churches need both Mary's and Martha's in order to function well. David is a beautiful example of a contemplative. In the Psalms, we see David passionately pouring out his desire for God. He's been captured by the love of God and his desire to spend all that he has in his pursuit of the one who's captured his heart. Expressions of worship. Something that an individual has coined the name called the Jesus Prayer. Simple prayer that we all should pray. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. This prayer is a reminder that Jesus is. He's everything that we need. It's who he is. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. It reminds us not only who he is, but who we are which is individuals and are individuals in need of mercy. Secret acts of devotion is the way this style worships. Doing things in silent, giving in anonymity. The temptations for a contemplative is losing balance. God wants us to enjoy his presence not only in solitude, but listen, also with others. These groupings of connecting points with God have a way of discounting the need for community and the need to be with others. Forgetting virtue, the goal of our lives must not be just to get rid of the sins that cling to us, but also to add to our lives the virtues that Christ calls us to. Last temptation as I finish is this. The contemplative can become addicted to spiritual experiences. We all need spiritual experiences. But I, I wanna guard you. Now remember, these are individual styles of worship and we come together collectively. We're free to worship in our own 
unique way, but I've watched as some churches build on a spiritual experience and a spiritual high. They exchange, do nothing more than exchange a good moment in the presence of God or maybe even a moment that isn't genuinely God's presence but something that has been manufactured hype and create a scenario where people are living from high to high, nothing more than a spiritual junkie needing to get to the next service and get their fix of Jesus through some type of emotional experience. And we should guard deeply against that. The contemplative simply says, let me feel. Let me feel. If I can, I want to finish today. Before I finish, um, is there anyone in the room, just, just out of curiosity, anybody in the room, I had to skip through things for the sake of time, anyone in the room who'd want these notes that I have, like you want, anybody? Sir, come get them. Tell me your name. Oh, hey, Caleb, I couldn't see you with the lights. Good to see you again, buddy. There you go, take them. You're welcome. Yeah, you're welcome. I did that to just illustrate one point. Caleb is probably very highly motivated as an intellectual. So he's going to go home this afternoon. He's going to ignore his family and he's going to read those notes. Watch now. That doesn't make Caleb weird. That makes Caleb who God designed Caleb to be. I wanted to outline these so that you would see which one you are, why. Just you can fill your brain with more information. No, that's what the intellectual has to guard against. Why did I give you this? So that you can leave out of here and be excited that you go to the best church with the best preacher on the planet. (laughs) I didn't expect laughing, but that's okay. No, 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 it's too late now. Your first response was the one that counts. The laugh was the one that sticks. where you get the best information and you get the best whatever. No, that, no, no that, that's just an enthusiast who's championing their church and loves their church, right? Why did I give you these? So that we could just fill, because really I needed to have a space and time where I filled 35 minutes on Sunday because I didn't really know what else to do with my time this weekend. No, it's so that we can look and ask ourselves, be self-reflective and say, Which one of these pathways helps me connect with God and then live out of that? And know which ones your kids connect to. Because you, because as they're as they're young, you can begin to see, you can begin to see it forming. You you can begin to see it forming. I can I could sit here and tell you all of my kids preference on how they predominantly connect with God. Jake is, I won't go through the whole list, but Jake is probably predominantly an intellectual because I'll finish a message that he will have listened to and he'll send me a text and he'll say, Dad, you really should put that in a book. And I'm like, Jake, you're the only one who would read it. (laughs) My youngest son, Alex, He'll go an entire day and say three words to me. 
He may say the same three words twice, but there's only three words. I love you. That's usually all I'll hear from him in a day. It's all I'll hear. If you're not careful with your kids, you end up expecting them to be just like you or just like one of their other siblings or just like whomever you think is a spiritual giant or whomever's worth pursuing spiritually. And what I want to have said over our church and over our time is that our kids and our kids' kids, like not just Mike and Mackenzie, but Kinley's kids, and Rhett's kids will have a legacy of a mom and dad who lived and loved God and showed them how to connect with God and didn't just say, well, you need to have a quiet time and leave it at that. Now, if you're in this boat of contemplatives, quiet time you love. And me saying quiet time isn't the only way freaks you out a little bit. But I want us to Really, really, really give this some time and effort in our thinking. It's why we make them available to you on the app for free. It's why we give them to you online and in any form that we can so that you can kind of think through them, listen through them, and put them into practice in your life. Because it matters. It matters. It's, it's the answer to why some people are so angry in the world around us because each of these pathways has a perverted form to it. A misguided is maybe a better word, form to it. It's why there's so much hate and anger and division because there are so many activists, saved and unsaved, who are aiming their intentions at people instead of the kingdom of God where the true difference and eternal difference will really be made.